You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean. I'm the pastor at City Church, um, and I thank you for being a part of our gathering this morning, uh, being a part of a church service on Sunday. There's more to being a Christian than that. There's definitely not less. So it's good to be together today. And I love what Nate said in the video, Nate Abbey's video, when Nate said to know that City Church has our back. And that's a big deal for us when it comes to our missionaries. Anyone that gets sent from here is they know that their church, their home church, always has their back. And that's part of what Let's Go is all about, uh, is us increasing the opportunity to send more people, to be able to reach more of the next generation, to see more people discipled and sent. And I'm thankful for stories like Nate and Abby's. Uh, there are members here, faithful members. Now they're going to go be faithful members uh, up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and take what they've learned here. Uh, from the scriptures and go apply it in a massive mission field that is Ann Arbor, Michigan. So Abby came to faith here and there's uh, and, and was really discipled in our college ministry. Uh, Nate was really, really grew in our college ministry. And there's more Nate and Abby's out there uh, that we want to keep reaching and discipling and sending. Uh, so I'm thankful for our Let's Go vision where we can really truly together uh, go from our church for the city and to the world. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, uh, mainly, and a little bit of Matthew chapter 28 this morning uh, in our vision series called Let's Go. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for the truth of the scriptures and what an act of grace it is that we have the words of our creator. We can know exactly what it is that you have to say to us through our Bibles. So I will be faithful there. As we talk about vision this week and a little different kind of series, I ask that. Uh, what we do is for the great commission ambition that you have laid in front of your people. And that we will be people who, based on our beliefs, that it will cause us to go. Lord, forgive us and evangelicalism in general when a biblical and gospel-centered theology does not lead to a white-hot mission uh, for your good news. So I ask that we'll be able to lead that. And I ask you to be with all the churches in Tallahassee today as they gather. Uh, may faithfulness come from the pulpits and may people be reached for Christ. We ask you to be the enemy out of this place, out of our town, and that you help us all to follow Jesus. We need him every day. Please fill us with the Spirit so we won't care out the desires of the flesh. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now maybe you've uh, waited on a call before. And when you got the call, it sort of excited something in you. Maybe it's a call uh, that your offer on a house that you made, you know, went through. Uh, maybe it's a call uh, that, or maybe it's through an email or through a text or through a letter that you got accepted into that program. Uh, a call that you got that job you were hoping for, that promotion, uh, you know, a call that you're finally going to be a grandparent, like, like whatever it could be, uh, there are calls we get that we anticipate when they come our way and usually build something exciting in us. A call you see uh, on social media if you're a sports fan like myself is when a minor league baseball player finally gets what is referred to as the call. Uh, they're called up to the major league. This would be somebody whose entire dream their whole life was working to become a major league baseball player and they played many years in the minor leagues preparing to go there and all of a sudden they get the call from the the big, you know, the big team to go actually be a major league baseball player. And it's such a big deal for that family that the parents of the player and that they book tickets, they make sure they're there for the debut. Uh, that call is a really huge deal. And when it comes to Christian lingo, oftentimes the term calling or called is used as some sort of divine anointing, while the rest of us are in our seats kind of wondering when we might be called to something similar or something great, basically called up to God's major leagues? Are there some kind of special Christian who maybe hears God's voice differently or has some kind of direct line to him that I don't possess and uh, therefore they're called and I'm not? And you see often that phrase, I'm called to blank. You know, I'm called to and insert something into that blank there and it can either be a crutch of not doing something because you don't feel called to it 
or it can be justification, or maybe even a peace of mind. It's kind of all over the spectrum. But Ivan Mesa says that it's a, that whole idea of I am called to is a mystical sounding line that throws a divine aura over one's life. It's a mystical sounding line that throws a divine aura over one's life. And the way the term calling or called is expressed today in modern day evangelicalism often suggests there's Christians who are, who are special and those who are not. You ever feel that way? There's this like extra special group of Christians that is like very clear, like, you know, kind of line and kind of access to God and tells them things clearly and you never get a chance to experience that. Or it allows us to hide behind the word. You know, I'm just not called to that. So for our let's go vision, this big vision God's given our church for two years, really through the scriptures of the Great Commission and what it looks like in Tallahassee and beyond, we're going to be turning a commitment card the last Sunday of the month to help us know how we can go forward. And it's easy to claim, well, I don't know if I'm called to be a part of that. But when it comes to mission and the local church involvement, God has already called us. Whether or not we feel that calling in a tingly or emotional kind of feeling sort of way, and we have to make sure we don't confuse our feelings with our calling. Now, feelings aren't bad things. I think God gives us feelings. But the feelings that we have are not pure anymore. They've been affected by the fall. So even the things that we feel aren't ever perfect or pure until Jesus returns. In other words, feelings are not a bad thing. Feelings are just unreliable as ultimate truth. They're flawed. Uh, they don't have ultimate authority. Again, they matter. We should pay attention to them. Uh, they just don't have authority over our lives. So the question I want to answer this morning through these scriptures is, what is your calling? And you might say, well, that's kind of bold, you know, to say, you're going to tell me what my calling is. Well, I think for believers that the callings are generally the same for all of us when we read the scriptures. Again, we've kind of sensationalized it. We've kind of added a lot of, of things to it, kind of special classes, extra feelings, things such as that. Uh, but the call for Christians is basically something we all hold in common as believers, and if you're here just kind of checking things out, not sure what you believe, I'm really glad you're here uh, because hopefully you can get a, an understanding of what the Christian calling is. And this whole Let's Go initiative can help you see that we're serious about this. Like we're serious about the work of the church. Like we're not doing this because we love City Church. We're doing Let's Go because we love Jesus and that he has a mission for us that we want to be a part of. So what is our calling here? We'll be in Matthew chapter 4 in just a sec, but our calling is really two things. The one, the first thing all Christians are called to, everyone in this room holds in common, is that we're called to Christ. Every believer in Jesus Christ has been called to faith in Christ. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6 that we can't even believe or understand unless God draws us to himself. God calls us. It's a very scriptural idea that God has a calling upon our lives to come and, be, and follow Jesus to be Christians. We are called. In fact, when the scriptures speak of calling, they mainly speak of our fun fundamental calling to know and follow Jesus. What does it mean to be called to Christ? It means that God opened your eyes to see, that he allowed your dark heart to be awakened, that he made a dead thing that was your spiritual self come alive. It's the truth of every believer. We see an illustration of it in the book of Ezekiel where there's dry bones and the word of God speaks to those dry bones and allows them to come to life. But there's a calling that takes place, our regeneration, God making us new. It's almost like simultaneously those things happen and we see a true act of grace there. Uh, we come to understand by the Lord's grace that there really is a God, that he's a holy God. He created us to know him and be in a relationship with him. All things were perfect as they were supposed to be. But we said, God, no thanks. I don't want you. I want your stuff instead. I want your things. I don't want to worship you. I want to worship me or I want to worship your creation. And 
and our God is a holy God, and he can't let sin go unpunished. So he can't shrug his shoulders and go, well, you know, he was really sincere, he meant well, or she's really great once you get to know her, she just made a little mistake. No, the wages of sin is death, and that's why Jesus died. He took on our wages. He died a death that we deserve for our sins to forgive us, to reconcile us to God, to pay the wages of our sin. We are called to Christ in repentance and faith. And then we're called to his mission through the local church. Every Christian has been called to Christ, and now they have been called to the mission of the local church. That so God has a mission, and he operates it through the local churches that he'd established. When you read the New Testament, that's how you see it go forward. So Matthew chapter 4. So we see things starting to develop for Jesus. His public ministry is kind of getting going. John the Baptist has talked about him and said, there's the one, he's the true one, not me. He's the Messiah, he's the Lamb of God. So some conversations starting to happen around town about this Jesus man that they're not quite sure about yet that's making these claims about himself and the kingdom of God. And we see in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to preach. And here is his message. Repent. As in turn from yourself, turn from the things of this world, and turn to Christ. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's calling people to himself. He's calling people to Christ, away from the world. He says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. God's rule, God's reign. Like, it is here in the understanding of the Messiah. It's here, and it also is to come. So he's warning people, but also giving people a loving, grace-filled message to turn from this world and turn to Jesus. And then in verse 18, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And these were not hobby fishermen. You know, they just didn't have a boat at the marina, or, you know, or they had you know, their bass boat in the backyard and a salt life sticker on the back of their truck, right? These were actual, like, real fishermen. Like, per, by that, I mean... You're a real fisherman too, I promise, I promise. Someone has said, it's okay, honey, you're a real fisherman. But no, we know you're Yeti cooler, we get it. Okay, but these are actually fishermen by trade. They were professional fishermen. And here, Jesus comes up to them and he says to these people, these fishermen that do this every day for a living, that put big nets during the first century into the water and pull out fish every day. And he says to them, follow me. A call to Christ. A call to Jesus. He told them, and listen to what's next, the second calling. For I will make you fish for people. Now, at the first thought of that, they're probably going, that is the strangest thing I've ever heard. Like, is that illegal? I mean, like, how, how does that work? Am I going to cook somebody? Uh, we can't fit people in the net. Like, isn't that like assault or something? Like, like how, do you, how do you fish for people? They're probably thinking literally at the moment. We don't know everything that happened in the conversation. Uh, one thing about believing in the sufficiency of Scripture is that the Bible be the Bible. Uh, so you don't add things that aren't there and take things away that, that are there. Uh, but so, but there's a, you know, most likely there's more to the conversation than this. But what God wants us to know is what he's given us here in the scriptures. And we see that through Jesus calling them and telling them they're going to be fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They have every question answered about what that meant. We're not sure. But they left their nets. They were intrigued. Maybe they believed. Maybe they'd heard about him and now he came on the scene and they followed him. So the men Jesus called to be his disciples in this passage were actual professional fishermen. That was their job, uh, their carabelle before there was carabelle. Uh, maybe it was a dream job. Others, maybe it was just trying to provide for their family. But fish, yeah, that's what we do. 
And now he's called in to fish for people. And these same guys, three years later, with other people around, because this message of fishing for men has multiplied, and the same guys, almost like the bookends of Matthew, a little bit of chapter four, not quite, but almost the bookends of Matthew. We see the 11 disciples, Matthew 28, traveled to Galilee, we covered this a little bit last week, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Again, another calling of Christ, he directs us. When they saw him, they worshiped. He's now already died. He has risen from the grave. He's making his appearances now. They worship, but some doubted, because it probably sounded a little too good to be true. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he's establishing once again his rule and his reign. As the risen, resurrected Christ, he can make these claims. He says, go therefore. So he calls them to his authority. All authority has been given to me. I'm about to make a statement based on my authority that I have. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which is clearly a conversion element there, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there's a strong discipleship push to teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And they're not going to go fish by themselves. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then we see in the book of Acts when the church is formed, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the believers to carry out the task they've been called to. They are not alone. What's the point of these two texts being used together? The first and the last call of the disciples was a call to Jesus and his mission. It's like during that great commission moment, again, they had been through a lot, the disciples. They had walked around, they'd been mocked, ridiculed, taking on the Pharisees over and over again. Like the book of Luke can be called Jesus versus the Pharisees. And they're just like going at it the whole time. Then they saw Jesus die, and it's like, oh wow, maybe they were right, I guess they were right about him. Then he rose from the grave three days later. Who knows what's going through their minds? They had a lot happen. And now he had resurrected, and he tells them this great commission, and I can just imagine them going, fishers of men, that's what he meant. Fish for people. It all makes sense now. The first and last call to the disciples is a call to Jesus and a call to his mission. He didn't just sign them up to follow him as an example. He signed them up to be part of something greater than themselves, which is the mission of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Craig Stewart, one of our pastors, likes to say, and he doesn't, he doesn't mean this in a mocking way, but just in the reality of what we face, that God has a mission, and too many professing Christians simply aren't on it. That God has a mission, and too many professing Christians simply aren't on it. That's not to like throw shade at someone or to ridicule anyone, but to also offer something different, offer something better. That God wants us to join him in this life, and that his mission really is the one that has eternal significance and goes on and on. And then we see, in the, after the Great Commission is given, we see the book of Acts come into play, and the church now is how the gospel went viral. It's how it would be carried out to the ends of the earth, a spirit-empowered church with the word of God, fishing for people and going and making disciples. Daniel Abrams says this, from its earliest inception, the church has followed the mandate to go out. That was the call. At the very beginning, sadly, how many Christians today either are disinterested or maybe on the more, uh, into the, also like it's a hobby where they just kind of fill their minds with information, never actually do work to take it out. So we have to go 
the calling. We're all called to it. There's no such thing as, well, I'm not called to go. Because if you're a Christian, you're called to Christ and you're called to his mission. It's for all of us. Does it look different how it's played out? Absolutely. But the calling remains the same. And there's different ways to go about being a light for Christ. And I don't think there's one way, like exact way to do evangelism as in sharing your faith. I don't think there's one way to do it. I do think there's one message and that's that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, that God still loved the world, that he gave his only son. Like, I, I think there's one message. There's lots of different ways to do it. The old pastor in Chicago in the early 20th century, D.L. Moody, used to say that uh, I like my way of doing evangelism better than your way of not doing it. And in other words, like, let's, there's different ways here, and instead of being critical of the way people do it, make sure you're doing it yourself. And I, I'm, I'm convinced, this is just my opinion, and it's a vision series here, it's a little different than we normally do, um, is that the way that we impact the community from our church for the city and to the world is part of being a dynamic and vibrant church is that every member sees themselves as a missionary. Every member. And I think how that plays out is through channels of influence, is what I call it. Just channels of influence. And I'm going to put eight on the screen. Uh, there's more than this, I'm sure, but for time and for space and for not covering a million of them. Family, education, business, Government, civil service, I include just kind of all things political in that, the world, and also I, uh, in all kind of first responders, law enforcement, kind of everything in that. Uh, sciences, where I include healthcare in that as well. Uh, athletics, coaching and playing. Uh, recreational as well. Uh, and then arts and creative. And also technology. I mean, think about these for a minute. This is where most of you live your life. Think about family. From Grandparents, moms and dads, siblings, parents, step-parents, foster parents, all the above. The family is what God has given us as the primary place for evangelism and discipleship. Like that is first. That God has given us a responsibility when he, by his grace, gives you children to make disciples of those children. The world calls it indoctrination. We just roll our eyes at that and we call it the love of God. Isn't it interesting that you can get taught all kind of junk at school, and that's considered education, but tell your kids about Jesus, you're indoctrinating? I roll my eyes so back far, I can see my spine when I hear that kind of stuff, okay? Uh, so so that, that we, we reject that as Christians because, but again, we're not surprised of that because the gospel's foolishness to those who are perishing. We don't expect unbelievers to act like believers. So the family, don't listen to the noise. You are supposed to lead your children in a Christian home if you're a Christian. You can't believe for them. They have to believe the gospel for themselves. But you can cultivate a culture and an environment where they realize that mom and dad aren't perfect, they believe in somebody who is. Some of your grandparents and your, maybe your, your, your grandchildren aren't involved in church or your adult children aren't following Christ, so there's a way for you to be faithful there. Those of you that have maybe prodigal adult sons or daughters, to be praying, what a ministry that is, to be praying, to be available, to keep loving them regardless. Stay-at-home moms, working moms, all the above. Like, what an unbelievable ministry you have. Dads, so critical. The world's finally starting to accept the statistics that kids need to have dads. Like, that's the number one channel of influence is the family. Look at education. Not, we were talking about students. We're talking about teachers, university town, talking professors, administration, anyone involved in the educational world, uh, PhD students, master students, all, all the above. Like, we need more Christians in those spaces. 
I know that being a teacher right now, I don't fully know because I'm not one, but I, I keep hearing how difficult it is right now to be a teacher, how it's just getting more and more different, uh, how it's shifted so much, uh, how there's so many just different obstacles and barriers and difficulties now. Same for assistant principals, principals. I, I'm not pretending I know all that. I'm just saying that we need you and we support you. Like we need Christians in those spaces desperately, not to stand on their desk in the middle of class and read Romans 8. I'm not talking about that, but to let your light shine before others. And now I'm not asking you to cross professional lines or to lose your job, or to, but that could do more damage than good for the gospel. But to be a light, you might be the only Christian a kid in your class knows, or a kid walking the hallway knows, or in your research group at FSU knows. What an opportunity to use that channel of influence for more than just a job, or more than just insurance, or more than just a degree, but for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Business. I think everything that would be business in here. You entrepreneurs, those you work in business, manage, that are own businesses. Like, yes, you're working hard to provide for your family, to make an income, and I hope you do. But it's so much more than that. You have the chance through what God has given you to earn an income and to grow a business and to have a business that you hoped and dreamed of and that you worked your tail off for to let it shine for Jesus. To hopefully make money to help fuel the mission of the church but also to have people who work with you and under you and for you and alongside of you, all the above, that can see that you're different. They're gonna actually like do it the right way. There's an old, uh, I don't know if it's urban legend or not, but the, the principle remains the same. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was asked by someone uh, that was interested in how to be like a Christian businessman. And he said, how do I be a good Christian shoemaker? This is, you know, hundreds, couple, several, this is 500 plus years ago. And Luther, he's probably waiting for some kind of deep theological response or, oh, read this book or, oh, pray about it. He goes, make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. Do good work and do it right. My college president used to always say that if it's Christian, it should be better. It should be better. And by that, he meant Colossians 3. That Colossians 3, we work to the glory of God. Like, we care about how we do our job. We care about excellence. We care about how we execute. Why? Because we're not doing it to ourselves. We're doing it unto the Lord. And the people are watching. Government and civil service. And we need believers in these spaces. We need more elected officials who are Christians. We need more aides and people downtown at the Capitol. We need more Christian lobbyists. We need more Christians in association work and think tanks and, 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 and all the different things that our city also provides outside of state government. Like we need Christians in those spaces. Like, it's hard just to criticize it and talk about how the world's going this way and that way if we don't have Christians in there trying to make a difference in that world. The sciences. We need more Christians researching. We need more Christians in those rooms, in those classrooms, on those hospital floors, in those healthcare areas. Athletics, what an incredible ministry it is to be a coach. Even if you're just coaching Little League Baseball, I mean, to use those channels of influence. I, I was amazed today. I shouldn't be amazed. These guys roll their eyes at me when I mention it to them because they see it as like we're Christians. That's what we do. But we, have, we had two FSU football coaches here at 8.30 this morning. They had a game in Raleigh, North Carolina last night and probably didn't get back to like 2.30 in the morning. I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm just being real. We're always real here. There are people who didn't come to church today in Tallahassee all across the city because they were on their couch watching the game last night and they were tired. And these guys come when they were actually working and coaching the game and didn't have great results, they probably didn't feel awesome. Why do I bring that up? 
you know the impact without even realizing it that that has on their own families? When those kids see mom, dad come in late, be tired as can be, and say, you know what, we're going to go to, even though I'm getting four hours sleep, we're going to go to church tomorrow. Because there's not, there's more to being a Christian than going to church, but there's not less. So that's your own, like, kind of let's go vision for your family. I think one of the best ways that coaches can influence uh, families today is by reminding people that football or baseball or soccer is an ultimate. That's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. A lot of parents of kids need to be reminded of that. Maybe it's coaches that can help them do that and help them see that. For those of you who are athletes, always had a lot of athletes come through our church. What a way to leverage your gifts and your talents for the glory of God rather than just chasing a dream. Arts and creative. I know nothing about arts and creative. I just know that it's really, really important and I appreciate it a lot and we really need Christians in those spaces. We need more Christians pursuing art, design, like fill, fill in the blank. Like we need Christians there. And then we need people when Christians leverage their lives and kind of stick themselves out there and pursue those things to support them and to be for them and to encourage them. Like, like I, when, I, when we have folks that I know that are, that are artists or anything in our church, I want them to know that I'm their biggest fan. And I try to let them know that. You know, like these things matter. We need Christians in these spaces. And then technology. Maybe the most prominent thing we have going on in our culture right now. It seems like it changes by the day. It influences the world. It drives everything we're doing. We don't need just Christians in those spaces. We need Christians leading in those spaces. Like even some of the ones who make those things, who are cutting edge there in a university town and government town, we have the opportunity to see these things happen. I think of these channels of influence. And if you ask me the top five most influential people in my life, I would tell you my Little League baseball coach to this day. I'm 41 years old. I still call him coach. He's my coach. I don't call him Jim or Mr. Marsh. I call him coach. You know, others can, can think of somebody that you connected with as a mentor through work, what, you know, that, that used their channel of influence for you. And please do not miss for a moment that a, being a stay-at-home parent is absolutely a channel of influence and that you are influencing in mighty, mighty ways that don't require a vocation to be able to do. Here's why I brought this up. One, I do think it's the best way to reach a community is to leverage those things. But here's what I believe. Well, this is what I, I know to be true. Only one, put, we put those eight things up again. Karis, who's in the back, thank you. Uh, that only one institution brings all those channels together in one place at one time every week. That's the church. It's the church. It's not a football game. It's only six home games a year or whatever it is. It's not Christmas shopping. <laughs> that's, just, that's for a season. You do it online anyways now, right? Like what, what, it's not even school. It's only a couple of those channels at school. What brings every single one of those channels of influence in our society together every single week under one roof at one time? It's the local church. So how important is what we are a part of? How much does it matter for us to say, God, you have a calling on our lives, Christ and his church, and I not just want to be a part of it, I want to help fuel it and have a massive Great Commission ambition. We live in a Genesis 3 world, fallen world. That's where sin first occurred, Genesis 3. But we have a Matthew 28 mission, which is the Great Commission because of the Genesis 3 world. And we're confident knowing we have a Revelation 21 future, meaning that Jesus is going to come back one day and make all things new and all of it will be worth it. So what does this look like practically? Maybe you're retired going, okay, I'm not sure how I do this anymore or whatever it could be. Or maybe you're just trying to figure out as in the prime of your career what it looks like. Wendell Berry, who's an author, wrote this. Pay attention. As in, look around. Pay attention. 
Notice those around you. Notice opportunities. Do good work. That's that Martin Luther principle. Make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. Like, do good work. Love your neighbors. Real people, real faces, real souls made in the image of God. And love your place. Like, there's some of you that maybe need to learn how to love where you live. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean it's your dream city or your dream scenario. But you learn to love where you live. Why? Because your calling is whatever your life consists of right now. Unless that's sin. Like your calling, in other words, is where God has you. To pay attention, to do good work, to love your neighbors, and love your place. Like you're called to be faithful where in what you're doing right this minute, right now, somewhere, someplace, here in Tallahassee and beyond. Chuck Colson, uh, who was indicted in Watergate scandal with President Nixon, or all that happened with President Nixon, uh, he had a genuine conversion in jail and wound up living his life for Christ till his dying day, started a prison fellowship ministry, a fantastic ministry, like a genuine conversion for Christ. And he's been interviewed about his, about his journey, and he said this. He says, I was ambitious. You think he's maybe going to go, yeah, I used to be really, really ambitious, and then I became a Christian, and now I'm not anymore. Look at what he says. I was ambitious, and I am still ambitious today, but I'm not ambitious for Chuck Colson. I'm ambitious now for Christ. And when you read this New Testament, that's never carried out apart from the church. It's linked to my role in this place under God's rule and God's reign. Under those channels of influence, in my opinion, being a missionary wherever I go. Christian Weatherall wrote this, that when the mercy and grace of Christ as revealed in the gospel is our primary focus, then his glory, not our own, will be our ambition. So we want to take us to a whole new place for the next two years as a church and say, let the Great Commission be our ambition. Like, let's go together from our church, from the city to the world. The reality is I don't speak for God unless I'm reading the Bible. I believe that the role of, of prophet and priest has been already fulfilled by Christ once and for all. I don't have special superpowers. I don't hear from God differently than you do in some kind of varsity or JV level way because I went to seminary. Uh, I don't have superpowers. So I don't call people. It's not like as in the literal sense the theological calling to faith. And I don't tell you what it is that God has for your life unless I'm reading you the scriptures. I can give you advice, but I don't have a prophetic authority calling uh, as someone who's just a human being. But God calls. And he has already through the scriptures. Some of y'all are just sending it to voicemail. You're sending it to decline. Just go into voicemail. Or maybe you have the message and you've seen it, but you're not responding. It's kind of like when you have a read receipt on your iPhone. You know the folks that use that? Like when you text someone it says read and you're like three hours later, you're like, dude, I know you read it. I know you read it. What, 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 do, they, what do they call it? Ghosting? Right, I think they still call it that? Carson, they still call it that? Okay, I gotta ask the younger people. Okay, yeah, it's like ghosting. A lot of us have been ghosting. But the call of God is clear upon our lives and we're just like maybe seeing the read receipt and going, why do we do that? A few reasons. One is sin. Maybe we're caught up in something else. Maybe we're saying, God, I think there's more to be, more to be gained by disobeying you than there is to be gained by obeying you. 
or I need to go around you right now for I'm looking for in my life, not actually to you, just this kind of just sin. The next one is fear. Two kinds of fear. One is a fear of what it's going to mean for you to go in with Christ. That means that things are going to change in your life. I actually respect that person because they're acknowledging that they're actually really going to follow Jesus. It's going to change things. And I appreciate that reality. And it will. It's a new life. Uh, or other fear could be just like what others might think. In a world today that's obsessed by appearance and all, like what are they going to think if they're going to think I'm some religious nut if I get serious about following Jesus? Are they, like what are they going to think? The third is ignorance. Just that no one ever disciples you about these things. No one ever told you you had a call to Christ's mission. Like you just never knew. Maybe you went to a church where they just didn't tell you that or it just wasn't important or they didn't believe in it, whatever, whatever it could be. Maybe you still haven't been called to Christ even though you've been to church before. Maybe you haven't opened your eyes to the good news of the gospel of God's grace. See, cultural Christianity, this sort of Christianity in name only, it's more about a superstition or a hobby uh, or a good luck charm than it is actual belief in Christ. It breeds a faith that demands nothing and basically as a result means nothing. And the fourth one is just simply saying no. You just rejected the Lord and his calling upon your life as a Christian and that's a dangerous place to be. So our calling is a great commission ambition through the church. Salt and light. Amy DeMarcangelo says that God doesn't lead us into ambitions that are pointless. There's always a need to be met in the world by a holy ambition. In other words, our hustle won't be for the honor of our name, but for the honor of God's. That's going to matter because there is a clear mission and he calls us to be on it. So I'm just amazed by that, that bookend of Matthew. We get the genealogy of him at the beginning where we see of, of Jesus, where we see that God's been working out his sovereign plan for our salvation from the beginning. So we go through a long genealogy. Then you see some about how the Messiah came about, the incarnation. Then you get into a little bit outside of that. He gets tempted. There's, just some, there's, some, uh, there's things happening. And then all of a sudden, he gets on the scene and goes full speed into his public ministry. And what's the first thing he does? He calls people to himself. And then he calls them to his mission. Then the last thing he does in the Gospels, he reminds people and calls them to his authority, to himself. Then he calls them to their mission. And then he's in Acts chapter 1 about to ascend to heaven, the ascension, the essential doctrine of the faith. He's going to sit at the right hand and serve as our intercessor, as our great high priest. Before he leaves, the last thing he says is, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. And now I'm gonna be, you're going to be filled with the Spirit. You're not going to go alone. And they're sitting there going, fish for people. Fish for people. So we want this church to be one big bass boat. One big, I think that's what it's called. I don't fish. I'm a big indoors guy. Uh, like it's a, so, but like one big bass boat. One big rod and reel. Bass Pro. Like we're all carrying like figurative Bass Pro gift cards. And we're just cashing them in, cashing them in, cashing them in all the time. Why? Because we actually believe this stuff. And we believe that mature disciples are people who follow Jesus into the world. So let's not be indifferent. Let's not have the wrong focus. Let's go from our church for the city and to the world. The church is how the gospel went viral. Same spirit, same God, same message, same calling. Let's do it together. Let's go. Let's pray.
Father, we are thankful for the good news of the scriptures, uh, for that story in Matthew of Jesus calling. And we're thankful that he has called all who are in this room that know you. That it's by grace we are saved through faith, not by works. So none of us can boast. We can only boast in Jesus alone, his resurrection, his redemptive work on the cross. We are thankful that he paid the wages for our sins. And as we'll be found faithful to our calling to submit our lives under the authority of the one who loves us and knows us and made us, and also to be a part of the mission you've called us to. Oh, forgive us when we have a missionless Christianity. We know that's one you wouldn't recognize. So I ask we'll be people who use the channels of influences you've given us and placed us in to make much of your name, let our light shine before others, and that we'll see the local church not as an afterthought or an association, but very much worth our lives. And I ask that we will be committed as people together from my family to every person in this room to say, let's go and make a huge impact from our church for the city and to the world. Please use our missionaries. Please use Abby and Nate in Michigan. Please use them in that local church, the Salt Network, our sister church, to reach that community. We're thankful for what's happening there and through our entire network. But we ask it increases for the gospel as we make disciples by your grace. We worship the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.